we're getting ready to have a live session. It's Billy Holiday. Billy Holiday. So I don't play jazz. I'm not a swinger. My good friend Jason Crane. Now it's jazz. Now it's jazz. Now it's now it's now it's jazz. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is a jazz interview podcast that brings you lives and stories of the people who play, write about, and love jazz. It's also more than a podcast. When you visit the show's website at thejazzsession.com, you'll find interviews, live jazz news, articles, and links to other jazz sites. Thanks to everybody who contributed to Bloggers for a Cure, a collective effort by several music bloggers to fight cystic fibrosis. Prize winners will be announced soon, so watch your email inbox to see if you've won a prize, up to and including a 250-gigabyte hard drive stuffed full of great music. Thanks again for helping out. My guest on this week's show is vibraphonist and composer Cecilia Smith, who's taken on a fascinating project with a new album called Dark Triumph, The Life of Victoria Lancaster Smith. This is a composition that brings together the Boys Choir of Harlem, an orchestra, a full jazz rhythm section, soprano saxophone player, vocalists, vibraphone, all into a collaboration with the spoken word life story as told by the very intriguing Victoria Lancaster Smith. It's an album unlike very many I've ever heard before, and it's one that really bears repeated listening and uh, will reward you for it. The album begins this way. This work is illustrative of the life of Victoria L. Smith, a diminutive African-American woman whose statue does not equal her accomplishments. Born in Baltimore, Maryland, on March 25, 1931, Victoria, the first black nurse hired at St. Charles Hospital in Toledo, Ohio, has been a wife, mother, and ballet teacher, and has served both the Red Cross and the Peace Corps. Hers has been a life dedicated to service. Thank you. 
Cecilia mm. Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Can I ask first, uh, is is it a name coincidence, or my guess was that Victoria was your grandmother? Is that No, she's my aunt. She's your aunt, okay. Because I yes. noticed she mentions children in the narration, and neither of them is you, so then I was no. figuring, well, there must be one more generation in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. so. No, she's my aunt. She was married to my father's brother. Gotcha. Well, it, it certainly is a life worth memorializing in this in this record. She's still with us, so we're not memorializing yeah, it in that sense. But uh, seventy six, yes, worth worth commemorating. And I'm wondering, how did you uh, first come on to the the idea of something this ambitious? I mean, this must have taken a while in the, both the planning and the execution. Well, she asked me to do it. She said she had a piece of music that she wanted to have orchestrated, and. We went from there, and she had a poem that she had set to music when she was in the eighth grade. My aunt is extremely, well, besides the fact that she's very educated, she has also been around the world, and she's a ballet instructor and reads avidly. She walks five miles a day. She gets up every morning and does about an hour of stretching. And at 76, she is probably one of the most remarkable persons that I know. And so when she, you, she says something to you, to you, you take it very seriously. I mean, you don't say, well, yeah, you got a nice piece of music, that's nice. You know, you say, well, sure, let me hear what you got, you know. I said, well, what do you want to do with this music? And she said, well, I want to orchestrate it. And she said, well, I want you to orchestrate it because I don't know anything about music. And I said, well, it's a defined melody, which reoccurs throughout the piece. And I, it's an eight-bar melody that I, of course, wrote 45 minutes worth of music to, to support and, and surround and other pieces. She, she also takes, keeps a diary uh, every day. She said, well, I want to, to correlate to a human's life in terms of their struggles and, um, you know, their triumphs and this, that, and the other. It was very vague. I said, you need to be a little bit more centered with that. And, you know, she talked a little bit more. I said, well, we ought to really do your life. She says, oh, I haven't done enough. I was like, oh, you're kidding, <laughs> you know. So I knew a lot about her. Uh, she's a nurse. My mother's a nurse. Two of my sisters were nurses. But the unusual thing about my aunt is that she enlisted in the Peace Corps when she was 58 after doing several years of disaster nursing. This is an unusual person. And I said, certainly we can take this melody and outline your life. She said, fine. I said, well, what, do you want? what else do you want to do? She said, well, I want strings. I want this. So this is going to be costly. She says, I've been saving for the last 60 years. I have a, an account set aside for this. And she said, I'll commission you to do this. And I was like, wow, okay. I mean, you know, she's very unassuming, you know. She lives fairly well. I mean, you know, we're very middle-class African-Americans. This particular side of my family, my father's side of the family, have all been to college, all of my 50-odd cousins, you know. So, you know, we're not rich, but, you know, she's comfortable, you know. And I felt a little funny about, like, this is going to cost a lot of money, she's, you know. So she said, well, we're going to spend it because I can't take it to me, with me to my grave, you know. So she said, I'm, and I want you to do what you need to do to do this. And I was like, okay, fine. For a composer like that, for, like myself, to have this type of opportunity kind of fall into my lap, I didn't really know where it was going to go and how it was going to shape and where it was going to be. So it kind of happened over a period of about mm, two years. It took me six months to write the music in various interviews and, and really kind of shaping how the work would be. About this time, I began work for the American Red Cross as a volunteer 
and later as staff nurse that led to disaster duties. My life as a Red Cross disaster nurse was an extremely fulfilling time because the one big love of my life, my spouse, died one year and five and a half months after my first disaster experience. My work as a disaster nurse allowed me to turn all my grief, sadness, despair, remorse, and stress into helping others. This was not planned. I simply worked to fill each day, fill the emptiness caused by the loss of my one great love. In all, as both a Red Cross nurse and supervisor, I participated in numerous local and several national disasters. Nineteen seventy-nine, DR072, Tropical Storm Claudette, Houston, Texas, and area. Nineteen eighty-two, DR221. So when she uh, first tornado. gave you this this eight-bar melody, how did you take this eight-bar melody and say, "Okay, here's the very next thing I'm going to do"? What what was that next thing? Well, the next thing we did was outline her life. We went through her life in chronological order of things, the events that happened with her life. And each time she gave me an event, I would construct musical, I would, you know, insert her, her melody, but figure out how the musical event, uh, the event would correlate with the musical event. So you had I already, mean, right from the beginning, you had already thought, of this as a as a, a musical suite that would that would cover the, her life story that would cover her life story after inter- long interviews and probing yes <laughs> you know i mean i'm i'm a composer so I, and i've written for film and i, I i've written unusual in uh, a lot of i've gotten some unusual writing assignments over the years so for me to be able to write in this medium was was absolutely exciting for me. I mean, I was like, let's talk about your life. And I didn't know a lot about her. You know, her opening life as, as an infant was, is, is, is quite alarming. Yeah, you know, and we, I mean, we shouldn't gloss over that. I mean, the, the, the nurse in the, in the narration, your aunt recounts that the nurse told your aunt's mother that a pillow would yes, end her life. Somebody, yeah, and the problems she would have and the problems you're going to have by raising this dark-skinned child. Now, let me tell you, when she told me that, I was, well, I was a little messed up. I was like, whoa, really? For some African-Americans who have heard this, some of them are quite upset about it. Some of them are revelating that I'm bringing this to the surface. And some of them are like, you sure you want to air this in this fashion? So, yeah, it's heavy. It's real heavy. It's (laughs) earth-shaking, if you ask me. Her story is so it's so fascinating, and the album is just it's it's so compelling that it's as interesting to spend thirty minutes just talking about your aunt and all the things that she did. But I, I want to yeah, make but we have not talked about any of the music. Have that's we? exactly <laughs> right. So I want to make sure that we uh, that we spend some good time talking about that. One of the things that I really like about this album is uh, is how many different musical styles it combines, and not in a not in a showy way or a, a pretentious way, but just very very naturally. Um, mm. There are some you know really hauntingly beautiful moments. There's some really kind of uh, up tempo, uh, you know, swinging moments, and then there's some there's some beautiful string work. 
um, all throughout, including a, a wonderful uh, viola solo by Maxine Roach, Max Roach's mm-hmm. daughter. And I mm-hmm. wonder, uh, was there some conscious attempt on your part to kind of represent the, the breadth of American uh, kind of musical experience in the same way that your aunt's life represents, in in one sense, the a breadth of African American living experience. Well, my aunt's background, because she she studied ballet extensively, she um, goes to the orchestra. She's got a subscription membership for the Baltimore Symphony. She came down here for the Ring Cycle for the, for the Met, you know, a few years ago. And that, I mean, that's her, a serious opera goer. She came for the entire ring cycle. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she owns all these operas. Are, are you kidding? Oh, yeah, she's like serious opera. She took me to see the Magic Flute when I was a kid. I mean, you know, she she's a serious classical musician, but she knows that my background is is jazz. I mean, she's come to my concerts and she knows the work that I've done. And she says, "I know you're a jazz musician, so I know that you can do this. I want this to be as." You know, while I want it classically based, I want elements about who you are in there as well. And I was like, fine. You know, now I had to talk her into a few things, like the boys' choir. get enough money, and I wasn't quite sure about how much money she had, that I had to make sure that my writing was as tight as possible, you know, and that I could really kind of take this on because I knew it was going to be criticized, you know, and um, it's not work that most people are used to me doing. Um, Certainly it's something that I know. It's an opportunity that would have never come my way in the more natural sense. Someone saying, hey, you know, I mean, I've gone after all kinds of commissions. I don't get them. You know, I've gone after a lot of things that, as an African-American woman, I, I mean, I don't get this type of opportunity. So I knew that I, I, you know, I had an incredible opportunity here from my own folks, you know, um, and to be able to write in these different mediums that I know so much about. I mean, I studied to be a classical percussionist as a kid. I mean, I've been studying music since I was eight and intensely from the time I was 12. I mean, I went to band camps. I had piano lessons, mallet lessons, timpani lessons, band camp every summer, piano teacher, drum teacher. I mean, I have been bit by the bug of being a musician since I was like, well, eight and seriously since I was 12. I've never wanted to do anything. I have studied every kind of big band, every kind of improv. I've got records in here that people would probably want to buy from me. You know, I only applied to one college. You know, I knew I wanted to go to Berkeley because the best of of jazz musicians went to school there and um, have been 
totally absorbed by a music that has moved my life since I was a kid. So to have this kind of opportunity come my way and to be able to write, you know, a piece of such significance, I, I hope that I get the opportunity again, you know, um, seeing how things are, you know, in the jazz world and what opportunities that are out there. And... Um, you know, so I think that I've done that. I mean, for most people who have heard the work, even if they're not jazz aficionados, they are moved by the element of the spoken word and how the music highlights the emotional sense of this story. And um, for any artist, for someone to come to you who doesn't listen to jazz, who doesn't listen to serious music, you know, as classical music or, you know, certainly you know, young people who don't own any records by the Boys Cry of Harlem who come to me and say, your story and your music, you know, your, the story of your aunt and your music has changed my life. What what more can we ask for from an artist, I, I, you know, in terms of how we're communicating, you know, uh, what we feel to feel, you know, through our work as, as musicians or as painters or this, this is what we yearn for. So when the album was finally finished, did you sit down with your aunt and listen to it through? And if what did she think? Well, she was very much involved with the entire process. And I spoke to her about everything that I was doing. The hiring of the boys' choir. We were only going to hire one boy. But when I went to the school and the choir director, uh, Dr. Tornbull, who has since died, he said, well, I have five for you. Pick one of them. And when I heard them all singing together, I mean, I had to get it together. Boy sopranos to me are just the ultimate impurity if you want angelic voices. You know, uh, this type of texture is just, uh, it's it's just so moving. And I was like, well, no, I want them all. Let me go talk to my aunt and see if she'll pay for this. He said, oh, you only only need one. I'm like, oh, no, 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 you got to, let me go work this out. So I sat down, I talked to her, she was like, oh, how much more is that going to cost, you know? But when she heard them, she said, they're so beautiful, and they took all the time to learn it. You, you just couldn't ask them to do one. Oh, I'm so glad that you talked me into that, <laughs> you know? So um, she was involved in every process, I mean, she in every leg of this, and I wanted to make sure she understood because, you know, she understands about music. But when I talked about the technology, you know, technology behind recording and, you know, what this all means, you know, you got to break it down. You know, you can't talk over people's heads when they're investing their money. And you have to really make sure that they're on the same boat with you. Well, you certainly don't do anything in a small way. And uh, Cecilia Smith, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Well, yes, and, and thank you for your interest. Can I also say that I have a MySpace site? You can. You did, and so tell people the address. Yes, myspace.com backslash Cecilia Smith, C-E-C-I-L-I-A. If you don't spell it right, it won't come out. And I can say that MySpace for musicians has been an incredible process. So if any listeners out there are you know part of that site or if you want to come, I've got a couple of pieces from Dark Triumph there, and we're going to be selling it through that site as well. Um, it is available through iTunes right now and Amazon and CD Baby, you know, so they can certainly purchase the CD through those mediums as well. And we'll have links to uh, Cecilia's MySpace page and also uh, links to the uh, CDs regular, through our store. Yes, yes, and my site. I do have a, a, a regular website, CeciliaSmith.com, um, as well, that you can look up all these projects in. So, you yeah. know, so Jason, I thank you.
My for pleasure. Having me and letting me talk by talk so extensively here. I hope that I've uh, you know uh, answered some of your questions, and it will leave your listeners uh, with a breadth of information. was born into chaos and confusion, but refused to live there. What I have learned is that if you clear your mind and focus, you will find the light. Now for the twilight of my life, happiness and peace are mine. I feel fine knowing that all my life I have tried. No more worries, no more fears, fewer troubles in these later years. Two sons who make me proud grandchildren to watch grow, to a specific person who always challenged me to tell my story, I must say thank you very loud. That's the final movement of Dark Triumph, the new recording by vibraphonist and composer Cecilia Smith. Until next time, you've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. Please visit the show's website at thejazzsession.com, where you'll find interviews and live jazz news, links to articles, great jazz sites, and links to all the artists 
who appear on the show. You'll also find a link to subscribe to the show. If you can, please subscribe via iTunes. It's free, and it guarantees that you'll always have the latest show right there in your sock drawer whenever it becomes necessary. The site also features a store, the Jazz Session Store. It's a great way to both support the artists by buying their music and to support the show because a little tiny portion of what you spend on the CDs comes back to me. In fact, it's not just CDs. Uh, We had Doug Ramsey on a couple of weeks ago, and his book about the life of Paul Desmond is in the store. As always, support your local CD shop or bookseller if you can. I don't mean the Barnes & Noble down the street from you. I mean the mom-and-pop store down the street from you. But if you don't have one of those, or you don't have any kind of music shop near where you live, then the Jazz Session store is a great way to do two good things at once. I write interviews and reviews for allaboutjazz.com, and I really recommend that you go there, not just because, or even most importantly because I'm there, but because so many other great writers and musicians are there. You can contact the show by going to thejazzsession.com and clicking on... Wait for it. Contact. Couldn't be any easier. You can send an email from there. The phone number is there. The mailing address is there. The AOL Instant Messenger screen name is there. By God, there's a lot of ways to contact the show, and I hope you will take one of them and uh, tell me what you think about it. Suggest some guests that you'd like to hear. I had a very strange but good suggestion from someone uh, recently, and I've had a lot of great feedback Really, really appreciate that uh, feedback from all over the world, which has been very exciting and not a little surprising, considering that I do most of these in my jammies in the spare room of our kitchen. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet, also known for performing in their pajamas. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thank you very much, most of all, for listening. Remember, support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come right back here next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.